Amen. Well, this morning, open in God's Word to the book of Revelation. We uh, just completed a sermon series in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, by looking at the life of Father Abraham, and now we come to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And again, if you received one of these uh, Revelation notebooks, I'd encourage you to open in it to uh, take some notes and record some thoughts this morning and, and through this series. Uh, but as you do, I confess I'm both excited at the opportunity to have this study together, but I'm also aware of the difficulties and of the solemn responsibility I have in standing before you as a minister of the Word of God in preaching from this book. You know, as we consider the book of Revelation, I find in general Christians have one of two responses to Revelation. You're either frustrated by the book of Revelation or you are fascinated by the book of Revelation. So I find most people either avoid the book of Revelation or they're absorbed in their study of the book of Revelation. For those that are fascinated by Revelation, there are an entire industry of books that continue to be published and come out that seek to explain the end times to us so that we will see what Revelation is showing us. There are then Christian movies that continue to come out year after year to show what the future will look like when Revelation is fulfilled. There are entire Bible conferences that take place with the keys to unlocking the secrets of Revelation or to recognize when what we read in the book of Revelation has come. And there are even elaborate charts that some of you are familiar with, which display where we are then in God's timeline and what is to come in our future from the book of Revelation. And when we're fascinated by the book of Revelation, and many times Revelation is seen as a kind of crystal ball that gives us a look into the future. And that fascinates us. We want to have a peek into what is to come. But I think for many of us, we simply find the book of Revelation frustrating. After all, when we read it, it's filled with strange imagery. We don't know what to make of it. It simply doesn't make sense. And then we hear different teachers on the book of Revelation. We're left confused because they so often offer conflicting and even contradictory views. Frankly, if we're honest, I think many of us would simply see Revelation as largely irrelevant to our lives. In this case, Revelation is not seen as a crystal ball, but Revelation is more like an impossible puzzle that simply can't be figured out, and so why waste your time trying? It reminds me, a number of years ago, back when I was a seminary student, and uh, I was on my way, driving on my way to school, listening to the Christian radio station, which had various uh, preachers and teachers uh, and, and their programs, but uh, the 
a, a movie had just been released on a best-selling series many of you are familiar with, Left Behind. And so these Left Behind's a fictionalized series of those who are alive when the book of Revelation begins to come true, a big movie release. So many of these radio shows seeking to teach the Bible uh, took advantage of the opportunity to uh, have a series on the end times or on the book of Revelation. And right next to each other on the radio station I was listening to, you have John MacArthur and Grace to You, followed in the next half hour with R.C. Sproul and Renewing Your Mind. Well, they both then are uh, having a series on the book of Revelation, and John MacArthur comes and he teaches that the book of Revelation is coming in our future, and this is what we are to expect when the book of Revelation begins to unfold. But as I'm continuing to drive to school, the, we reach the bottom of the hour, and then R.C. Sproul comes on with Renewing Your Mind, and R.C. Sproul believes that Revelation, what is recorded in Revelation, is already in our past. And all I could think of is, for anybody listening to the radio that morning, how utterly confusing and frustrating that would be. Which is it? Is Revelation speaking of our future, or is it speaking of the past? Well, there are admittedly not only two ways that people read Revelation, but there are four ways that people have interpreted Revelation over the years and the centuries. So I want us to briefly consider these four ways. Of course, we've already heard of two, but the most common approach to Revelation is futurism. Futurism. That Revelation gives us a preview of what is yet to come. And this may have been the only way you've heard Revelation taught. This is the, the, the most common way today. Other views may sound new and even odd and wrong. Because in your mind, of course Revelation is speaking of the future. Who would say anything different? But there is a view that is becoming growingly popular, especially in Reformed circles, and it's the one that I already mentioned with R.C. Sproul. It's called preterism. Preterism, which says that Revelation was fulfilled in the past, which was in the immediate future of those who originally received this book. So it either revealed the coming destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., or the later fall that took place of the Roman Empire after it was written. But either way, Revelation is describing events that were soon to come to those who originally heard this book and yet would be passed for us today. So you have futurism, you have preterism. Third is historicism. And historicism is not well known today, but it was a very common view during the Reformation period and has continued through much of Protestantism over the years. In historicism, then, Revelation unfolds through the centuries of church history. So Revelation begins with Rome, and then moves forward through the years and the centuries to the rise of the Roman Catholic Church, which is why, then, the Pope, according to these Protestants, is the Antichrist. Because that's the time in which they lived, through the book of Revelation. 
But that leaves one more view, right? We began with futurism, continued with preterism, then looked at historicism, but finally there is idealism. And idealism is a different view. You know, according to idealism, Revelation shows a symbolic portrayal of the general spiritual realities which exist in the church age. So Revelation is not describing a specific historical period of time, whether in the past, the present, or the future, but simply what is happening throughout history. Now, when you consider these different approaches to Revelation, you may wrestle over which one's right. Truth is, there's insights in all of them, and there are problems with each of them. But as I see it, all four emphases are important as we consider the book of Revelation, because this book is originally written for seven first century churches, which means that preterism is important. But also, Revelation will culminate in the future, which means futurism is also important. Revelation also expresses the ongoing spiritual battle that takes place in the present, which is why idealism is important. And finally, Res Revelation finds historical fulfillments throughout Christian history, which means historicism is also important. See, I would say all of these are required for us to rightly read and understand Revelation, which is why I take an eclectic view. You may think I'm uh, trying to have my cake and eat it too by appreciating all of the different views, but I think there's a reason why through the history of the church you have these different approaches to the book of Revelation. In any case, here are four things I want us to remember as we begin this study. Four things. First, humility. We'll have humility as we come to read and understand the book of Revelation. Look, I am not going to stand before you and say that after 2,000 years of church history and all the different interpretations that exist on the book of Revelation, I have all the answers. So just listen to me. What I have to say is, is, is what was meant. Right? That kind of pride is foolish. And I realize that there are many different views out there and that we're all struggling in light of our sins and limitations to understand this book, which calls then for humility in our lives. That we will indeed grow through our study and that we need God's help through our study. We need to be humble then and not come to this as if we've already gotten everything figured out and if the preacher doesn't agree with me, then he's wrong. But that God gave us this book for us to hear and understand and grow in together. So humility. Second, not only do I want us to remember the need for humility, but second, the need for charity. Charity towards others who may disagree. Listen, there is a real danger among Christians today to divide and separate 
over different views of Revelation. And this is utterly against our very Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who gives us this book. We are not to separate or divide over the different views that are in this book. And my hope and prayer is that we as a church will have the charity towards one another to allow for disagreements as we consider this book. But not only do I hope for charity and uh, humility, but third, I want us to remember that there is a need for unity. Because in the midst of all of the differences that are present in the different interpretations and approaches to understanding this book, there are central themes and a focus to this book that we should all unite in embracing. That Jesus reigns. That Jesus is returning that we have a glorious future then in Christ. There are many things we will find through the study of Revelation that whatever view one may hold, whatever interpretation one may have, we embrace as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us then look for those points of unity as we focus in our study and not get lost in the details. Recognize this unity in the central themes and focus of Revelation. So humility, charity, unity, and finally, ability. Ability. Let's remember that God gives us the ability to understand the book of Revelation through the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word. And our Bibles wouldn't be complete if we simply tore these pages out or ignored them. And yet I am afraid for many Christians, they would almost prefer that happened. That we don't need to bother with revelation. No, God gives us everything we need to understand the book of Revelation through having it recorded and included in our Bibles, as well as the Holy Spirit that is given in us to reveal these truths and help us understand what He has revealed. So we have the ability to understand this book, which should then encourage us in our study. So humility, charity, unity, ability. And it's when we have all of these in mind then that we are ready to begin our study. So, I know that's a longer introduction than normal for me, but with these in mind, let us look at Revelation chapter 1 and begin by reading verses 1 to 3 together. Revelation begins. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now let us go before our Lord in prayer. Father, 
Oh, Father, whether we are frustrated or fascinated with the book of Revelation, we pray that you will be with us to help us as a church receive the truths, the glorious truths that you have revealed to us of Jesus Christ through the book of Revelation this morning and in the upcoming weeks and months. We pray then that you will give us the attention we need to look at this book, the, the focus we must have to seek to wrestle over its contents, but also an eager expectation of the glories that come. When we see Jesus Christ and the truths of Jesus Christ, which are revealed in this book that you have inspired for our good. And so we pray you'll be with us and that you'll use me, Father, through your Spirit to work, be at work in the lives of your people and for the salvation of sinners and the edification and encouragement of your saints so that we will indeed be ready for the return of Jesus Christ and all that we have to look forward to in him. Father, we pray for all these things then in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. What then does this introduction from Revelation show us this morning? Here's the, the big idea, the main point that you may want to record. That the current and coming reign of Christ gives us confidence to persevere in the faith. The current and coming reign of Christ gives us confidence to persevere in the faith. And we see this first through God's purpose in Revelation, second in God's messenger of Revelation, and finally in God's blessing through Revelation. There's the outline this morning. First, God's purpose in Revelation, second, God's messenger of Revelation, and third, God's blessing through Revelation. But let's begin again by looking more carefully at these first three verses of Revelation, it begins with the revelation, which in Greek is the word apocalypsis. It's where we get the word apocalypse, which is why sometimes revelation is called the apocalypse. But what does it mean to reveal? To reveal is to uncover something that was formerly hidden or unknown. Here, then, we have a revealing that is given. It reminds me of, um, well, you guys know how much I enjoy a good movie. But when I really enjoy a movie, I often like watching a behind-the-scenes feature, which goes into all that it took to make the movie. It shows all that had to be done in order for me to watch the movie, including the 
director and all that he did as the actors are moving around and going through all the various things they need to do and the coordinating of scenes for the movie. You often see green screens behind people as the special effects needed to be added. You recognize then that a movie is an entire production with many, many people working behind the scenes with the cameras and the support and all that needs to take place, as well as the stunt doubles that are at work. And you look at all that happens and you grow in your appreciation for the movie. You recognize more of what went into the movie. Well, Revelation gives us a behind-the-scenes glimpse at the age in which we live. Things that are normally kept behind the scenes, behind the curtain. But it shows us the spiritual conflict that we live in, and that intensifies over time, and it comes to a climax in the future. This then is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this could mean that the revelation is from Christ, or it could mean that the revelation is about Christ. And while both are certainly true in this apocalyptic book, the the focus of this verse here seems to be that this revelation is given by Christ. It is from Christ. He is the one through which revelation comes and here both jesus's name and his title christ are used think back to the miracle of the incarnation when god became man and god the father says to jesus's parents uh, joseph specifically in matthew 1 verse 21 that you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is the one who reveals this. Jesus, who saves his people from their sins. He is our Savior, the one who saves us from the very wrath of God that we deserve for our sins. That rather than live under the condemnation of God and endure the just judgment of God, this Savior named Jesus is the one God gives for us, which is why he is then the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is his title, his divinely given office. Christ is the word for Messiah or anointed one, the one whom God promised to be our mediator, the one who reconciles us with God. God the Son reconciles us with God the Father, which is why then we no longer fear God is judge. We're forgiven of our sins. Reconciled with God. Receive eternal life. Adopted into his family. And look forward to in a future eternity with God. All of this comes through 
Jesus Christ, the one who took our place and offered himself as our substitute. As he hung under the very curse of God and died on the cross for us. Brothers and sisters, it is this Savior and Lord who has revealed this message to us. How then eager we should be to receive its message. Notice it is Jesus Christ to whom God the Father gave this revelation. That's what we go on to read in verse 1, which God gave him in order to show his servants something. You see then how God the Father is the source of this revelation, while God the Son is the agent through whom we receive this revelation from God. But don't miss what Christians are called here. Christians are called Christ's servants which refers to our relationship with Christ. Christ is our Savior and our Lord. And when we are saved from our sins, listen, we are saved to serve Christ. Jesus, then, is our Master. He is our King. And because we are His people, God gives Him something to show us. But what does God want God's or what does God want Christ's servants to see? The things which must shortly take place. Now remember, who's the original audience? The original audience would be first century Christians. So, were these things which must shortly take place, would they be in their lifetimes? Or will these things which must shortly take place be in our future? Or will the things which must shortly take place be in our lives? And the answer to all three is yes. Yes. This revelation was not only for those to whom it was originally written, and it is not only for the final generation of this age before Jesus returns, but it is a revelation for all of Christ's servants. Which is why even as we wait for the future fulfillment of what Christ reveals, these things began with the first century believers who received this revelation, and it continues to be our experience through this age as well. See, this language of things which must shortly take place is the language of expectation that we are to be ready for what is revealed in this book. And it's through this revelation then that we are shown the hidden realities of God's sovereign control over what takes place in this world and what will come in the future. That is what we are see through this revelation of Jesus Christ. But I want us to further understand the purpose of revelation by looking back at the Old Testament. And so because we're in a different book this morning, you can simply write down in your notes, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 
2 and, and, and listen as I read. But here in the book of Daniel, we have the Old Testament book, which has the most in common with the book of Revelation. And in this chapter, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar has a troubling dream. And so he calls for its interpretation. Well, after no one could tell him his dream or what it meant, Daniel comes. And listen to what Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar in verses 27 to 30. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation of the king and that you may know the thoughts of of your heart. Now, does this language sound familiar to you? It should, because it's the same language that's used by John. The opening verses of Revelation, God here reveals then to Nebuchadnezzar through a vision what will come to pass in the latter days, and Daniel then interprets his dream. Now, in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar had seen a large statue that was made of gold and silver and bronze and iron and clay. But then a stone arises to then struck and crush the statue, which becomes then a great mountain to fill the whole earth. So let's read then how Daniel explains Nebuchadnezzar's dream in verses 44 to 47. Again, listen to what Daniel says here in these verses. And in the days of these kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that broke in pieces the iron, uh, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. You see, the kingdoms of this world will rise and fall. But God uses a vision to reveal that one day he will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And now in Revelation, John uses the same language to reveal how God's kingdom will be established and will stand forever. But before we continue, I want everyone here to ask yourself a question. Are you a servant of Christ? Are you a servant of Christ? Because it is to the servants of Christ that this book is revealed. This revelation is given by God to Christ for Christ's servants. Which is why these are words of hope to followers of Christ. But they're words of condemnation to sinners without Christ. Because without Christ, there is no hope. But the warning of judgment that comes through 
the book of Revelation. So if you do not know Christ as your Savior, if you have not received His forgiveness of sins and become His servant through His grace, believe in Christ. Believe in Christ. It is He who gives life. It is He who provides forgiveness. And it is He in which we live through this world with the hope of revelation. But not only do we see God's purpose in revelation through the opening verses, we go on to see God's messenger of revelation. God's messenger of revelation, the end of verse 1 and then through verse 2. Now we see this delivery process advancing, don't we? We have God the Father who gave Jesus Christ this revelation, and then Christ sent and signified the revelation by his angel to his servant John, who will then show God's servant. So think of this as a chain. We begin with God the Father, gives it to Jesus Christ. Christ then sends it to his angel, who then gives it to his servant John, who then shows it to God's servants or Christ's servants. This process then, this chain delivery process, is how we have received revelation. But notice it was first sent by Christ to his angel. Now, angels are often used as messengers of Christ's words through the book of Revelation. And here we have his angel is the one who then brings this revelation to John. But not only is it sent by Christ to his angel, it is also signified by Christ to his angel, which means to make known through symbols. So there is symbolism here that is then given by the angel through visions to John. See, this revealed message then is coming through John, the apostle. But here, notice he is called Christ's servant, like the rest of the believers who are members of Christ's church. Now, this has actually led some through the history of the church to doubt that Revelation was written by the Apostle John, but he is here seen as another John. And they seek to point out the difference in the way the Greek is written here, and that it's a poorer Greek than the, the Greek we find in the Gospel of John and in John's letters. But the truth is these differences can be overblown, and there are better explanations along with important connections to see between John's writings that need to be considered, which is why Christians have rightly come to recognize the Apostle John as the author of this book. But now that this revelation has come to John from Christ through the angel, in verse 2, John bears witness that this is the Word of God, which means this is an inspired and authoritative message from God himself. Revelation is an inspired and authoritative message 
from God, through Jesus Christ, given by an angel, to an apostle who bears witness. This is indeed the word of God. But he also bears witness that this is the testimony of Jesus Christ, because Christ here himself also witnesses the truth of this revelation. This has all of the authority then of God himself through Jesus Christ and the witnesses here. Which is why this revelation then is a God-given recording from the Apostle John of all the things that he saw in visions for us. But brothers and sisters, this is why we should read Revelation differently from other types of Scripture. Because Revelation is focused on developing imagery in pictures rather than rational arguments and logical reasoning. You see, by reading Revelation, we are invited into a world for us to see, to explore, to use our minds and our imaginations to picture what the Apostle John has seen so that we can recognize its significance. But this is where I'm convinced many modern Christians misread Revelation. Because they read this with a modern and a scientific method that is more familiar and common to us today. We're not used to reading this kind of book. We're not used to reading apocalyptic literature. And so we try to keep the imagery as literal as possible. We give a well-known example. In the fifth trumpet that we find in Revelation chapter 9, we read of locusts like horses with tails like scorpions. Now, one popular writer in a New York Times bestseller years ago said this described Apache helicopters. And since John couldn't have recognized these future flying machines, he described them as best he could for those who were living at the time. And we can recognize them as helicopters because of our advanced technology today. To be frank, this is foolishness. There are some who will take this even more literally and expect some kind of giant mutant locusts with stinging scorpion tails to begin flying around in our future. Listen, this is an ancient work of apocalyptic literature that fuels our imaginations through the use of many signs and symbols. Similar to how Daniel in the and, and, and the other Old Testament apocalyptic imagery was used. Think back to King Nebuchadnezzar's dream that we read about earlier in Daniel chapter 2. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the statue in the stone represented other realities. And its imagery was not to be interpreted literally. Which is why these locusts are also not to be interpreted literally. But they visually portray what God symbolically reveals to us about the demonic horde that we read about in Revelation 9. And we'll, of course, look at this more closely as we come to Revelation 9 in our study. But my point is we look at locusts through 
the, the lens of Scripture and this other imagery in, in, in Revelation 9, and we see how they are then used in the Old Testament to help us picture this judgment that is taking place through the trumpets. What we find here through these symbols and signs, these visions that are recorded by the Apostle John, is that in Revelation we have the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let us then recognize this book with the full authority of the rest of Scripture and value it as God's word and eagerly seek to understand what Christ reveals to us through these symbolic visions which are written down by the Apostle John. Let's not neglect Revelation, brothers and sisters. Let us see the great value God has placed on it and that Christ and his Apostle John have borne witness to. We began with God's purpose in Revelation and continued by seeing God's messenger of Revelation. But finally, brothers and sisters, let us consider in verse 3 God's blessing through Revelation. This is why I'm looking forward to our study of Revelation together. Because God promises to bless us. We read, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this promise, of this prophecy. You see, this is the first of seven blessings that are proclaimed to God's people in this book. Which is why Revelation is not spiritual speculation for people who have nothing better to do with their time. But this book is essential reading for those who believe in Christ. And who want to live faithfully as his servants in a sinful world. We will be blessed when Revelation is read and heard by us. And who is this blessing promised to? As we've seen, those who read and those who hear. Which shows us the centrality of the church in the Christian life that we often neglect today and miss today with our private spirituality and our focus on our personal relationship with Jesus. See, this is a book that was meant to be read aloud in local churches. There were, after all, no personal copies of God's Word for Christians to have. It's not like they came to church with their own copy of God's Word. It's not that they had smartphones or tablets with apps that they could pull up to read God's word at home. No, they came together to hear the word of God read. And they would then come together to eagerly listen to Revelation, which would have been read aloud in one sitting. This is why the Apostle Paul encourages Timothy and all churches to give attention to the public reading of Scripture. And why we're committed as a church to read Scripture together in corporate worship. Because God blesses us as we listen to His Word in corporate worship. So we are blessed as we, this, this is read and we hear this read. But we also see here that this is called the words of this 
prophecy, which means that this is not only an apocalyptic book, but it is also a prophetic book. And as prophecy, Revelation shows us the things that are to come, which then gives us a heavenly perspective on our lives in this world. It was a prophecy. But listen, Revelation is not only meant to be heard. Revelation is also meant to be kept. Which is why we go on to read in verse 3, and keep those things which are written in it. Because Christ here shows us how God wants us to live, which is why we must obey His words. So we must not merely be hearers of the word, as James says, but what? Doers of the word. Revelation calls for a response to those who hear its message. Which is why we read throughout the book of promises of blessing to the faithful, as well as writings of judgment to those who fall away. You see, these opening verses then end with a reminder of the time we are living in. Why are we to hear? Why are we to keep these things? Because the time is near. This age is coming to an end. And our lives will not continue going on in this world forever. But the kingdom of God has begun through the ministry of Christ in this world. And he will return one day to consummate his kingdom and make all things new. Which is why we must obey what is written. Because Christ's return is near. And can happen at any time. The truth is none of us knows how much time is left. Which is why Jesus himself warns that many will not be ready and surprised when he returns. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 24, verses 36 to 44. Jesus says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Uh, sorry, that's a little further. Matthew uh, 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." Which is why then we read Revelation, we hear Revelation read, and we keep these things which are written in it. For the time is near. So what then have we seen from this introduction to Revelation? Let me say it again. That the current and coming reign of Christ gives us confidence to preserve in the faith. 
the current and coming reign of Christ gives us confidence to persevere in the faith. Oh, what we have to look forward to, brothers and sisters. The book of Revelation. I appreciate uh, David Platt's summary as he preached from the book of Revelation. He writes that this book was not written to create confusion for the Christian, cause division in the church, or promote speculation about the coming of Christ. But this book was written first to give unshakable hope to suffering Christians. Second, to encourage unwavering holiness in a seductive culture. Third, to refute deception in the church. And fourth, to fuel mission among the nations. Oh, how then we need this message of revelation as a church and in our lives as Christians today. We need this revelation of Jesus Christ to bless our souls. Which is why then we have so much to look forward to through this book and our study in it. Well, as we continue... I want to give five practical ways for us to benefit from this sermon series. So you can write these down or record them, but five practical ways for us to benefit from the sermon series as we continue. What should we think through the week and in the upcoming time that we have together in this book? What are five things we can do as we continue? First, pray. Pray, pray that God will bless us as we study this book together as a church. Pray that we will indeed receive this promised blessing from God and so that we will then grow in our confidence to persevere in the faith because of the current and coming reign of Christ. May the Lord bless us through the book of Revelation. But not only should we pray, let us also prepare. Prepare to hear the words of this prophecy by reading Revelation regularly and by reviewing your notes through the week. That's why you have this notebook to read, to remember the, the notes, to continue your study and reflect upon them and gain and gain additional insights through your study in the week. So I hope that this will be a used resource and not simply something that sits on your shelf and that it'll be brought back each week to add to our study together. So pray, prepare, third, prioritize. Prioritize gathering together with the church each Lord's Day where these words are read and explained in our worship services. Again, we live in a day where church attendance is often seen as optional. We have many things going on in our lives, and you may come to church, you may not come to church. But there is a blessing that is promised to us as this word is read, as this word is explained, as this word is heard, as this word is kept. May we then prioritize the opportunity we have through this study in coming together and worshiping God each Lord's Day 
as these words are read and explained. So prepare, or sorry, pray, prayer, prioritize, fourth, practice. Practice, practice living with the heavenly perspective that Revelation shows us in the upcoming weeks and months. Again, this is a book that is meant to be lived out. Let us then practice living with this heavenly perspective that Revelation shows us. So pray, prepare, prioritize, practice, and finally, praise. Praise. Praise Christ for revealing this book to us. Where we see his current and coming reign through these words. See, this revelation is meant to fuel our worship. Our worship of Jesus Christ, who gives us these words of hope. So that we will have confidence, persevere in the faith, because of the current and coming reign of Christ. So I hope that we as a people will not be frustrated or fascinated with the book of Revelation, that we will be faithful to Christ in hearing and keeping the things which are written in it, so that we will be blessed and Christ will be glorified through our lives. Let us then pray. Oh, Father, Thank you for this wonderful book. For those of us who may have neglected your word by not hearing these words and keeping these words, oh, Father, forgive us. And for those of us who have become so fascinated by this book, we have lost the main purpose for which it was given to us. May we also find forgiveness and a renewal to rightly come humbly and charitably, desiring unity and recognizing our ability that you give through your Spirit in our study of Revelation. May this indeed be a time of great renewal in our church, Lord, as we are blessed through the reading and hearing and keeping of your word. We pray then that Revelation will have its work in all of our lives as we remember and rejoice in the current and coming reign of Christ, which you have revealed to us in this book. Father, we pray that this will then lead us to lives of worship because of our glorious Savior and ask these things in his name.